Welcome to the Great Dad Life Podcast, episode number five. Today is going to be a fun episode. We're going to talk money, school debt, investing, tools, resources, lifestyle design, and much more. Our guest today has managed to pay off $200,000 in school loans in six years, and now is well on the road to financial independence. He's been my partner in self-education and financial literacy for almost a decade and just became a new dad in May. We felt that his perspective can be helpful to some of the 44 million Americans that have a combined $1.5 trillion in outstanding school debt. Jack, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So we've been discussing finance for a long time. We've passed a lot of good books and blogs to one another filled with content, and we've actually implemented some of that stuff. It's hard to believe. Yeah. And now we're, we're at different points in our lives, but it seems like we're still using a lot of the same principles and strategies going forward today, whether that's with uh, retirement accounts, HSAs, taxable brokerage, save, uh, savings accounts. And luckily, you kept a money journal <laughs> uh, over the last couple of years, which is a huge help when we were doing the notes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of fun to just go back and take a look at it and be like, huh, what was I thinking all those years ago? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what I was thinking a couple of months ago. So, um, no, no, great stuff. It, it was super helpful and kind of building out the flow for this episode. So, um, some of our best resources, though, came from a movement that is seen as somewhat extreme by, by some folks. It's called the FIRE movement, Financial Independence Retire Early. So, Jack, for those unfamiliar with the FIRE movement, how would you describe it? Sure. So, my kind of quick definition for it is if you acquire enough money so that the dividends of that passive income can generate enough money that you can live off of, you no longer have to work. So theoretically, you can retire, right? So you've accumulated enough wealth. Uh, if you want to go into details, uh, typically that's about 4%. There's like a 4% rule. So if you can accumulate 25 times, which is like the kind of the inverse of that, of what you can live off of in a year, then theoretically put that in the stock market in the right spot and you no longer have to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a very niche group, right? There's a lot of um, frugal folks in there, but the strategies and content are, are very applicable regardless if you love your job um, or, or whatever situation you're in, right? People still want security and flexibility, so yeah, the, the fire movement. Yeah. And that's my big caveat too, is when I define it for someone, I don't say, you know, you can retire immediately. Like that's what you want to do. It's work is optional. Like you no longer have to do that. Um, and we'll probably talk through, you know, the steps of getting there is really where you see tons of value. It doesn't have to just be the end. And that's a good sign too, because it takes so long to get there yeah. <laughs> that you need like some sort of intermediate milestones to kind of make you realize, Hey, this is still worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And th there's lots of, and I think both of us have found this, there's lots of um, individual strategies, right? But putting it all together really gives you a lens in which to look at different situations. You know, it, it kind of changes your perspective. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, there's a large toolkit of ways you can get there. And a lot of the ideas are old, right? And there's nothing crazy here. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, my biggest part of my journey was trying to figure out, okay, some of this I completely agree with and can get behind it right away. Some of this might be a little too extreme for me now, you know, maybe in a different life, I could have done it that way, but you know, not now. 
So where, where can I go from here? What, what pieces do I want to take to kind of make it so that I can continue where I want to go? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the thought for this show was I asked Jack to list some of the most critical situations slash decision points regarding money that he's found himself in, uh, starting with graduating college. We're going to go through what, what were the decisions that were made, kind of what was the thinking behind them. With hindsight being 2020, would he have made different decisions? And then we'll discuss any tools or resources that were leveraged or could have been leveraged had we had the hindsight and, and knew about them back in. Sounds good. All right. So uh, the first critical situation is college graduation uh, in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So 2012, uh, when you are graduating, you're required uh, by the school to kind of take a look at your debt and acknowledge that you have it. And that sounds kind of crazy, but it, it makes sense in hindsight. Right. So yeah. I looked at it and I, I looked at my debt and I was like, I owe over a hundred grand. I think it was like 101 or something like that. And I kind of like, I was graduated. Like I haven't, I hadn't thought of this, you know, I haven't thought of this the entire four years. Like uh, to my parents credit, they kind of shielded me from that, but I was kind of determined to, pay it off myself to get to the end. And I, I remember, uh, I had a little bit of money left in my like checking account from when your loans are like, don't, when you don't need all of your loans, they kind of give you some of the money back and you feel rich for a day. <laughs> um, and a lot of kids, you know, like go on vacation or whatever, spend it on frivolous things, but I at least kept it. So I was doing something. And I remember I, uh, that day or a couple of days later, I filled out a giant spreadsheet of all my debts, all the percentages on the date. And I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, I guess I should start paying off one of these, you know, pick the one with the highest percentage, which, you know, because I was going to school during the great recession happened to be like 8.75%. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if I just dump all of my money in there, let's, let's do this. Like, I don't, I don't need this. Like I haven't used it. It's been sitting in my checking account earning, you know, zero interest. So I dumped it in there and I did all the math and I was like, okay, you have paid off 2% of your student loans. It's like, okay, uh, <laughs> we got a, we got a ways to go here. Um, and, and that kind of sparked, I guess, I guess in hindsight, like if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. It's like, I needed that spark to kind of get me going. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely provide some motivation. Well, yeah. <laughs> and over the years we've talked about some of the things we would have done differently or, or mistakes that we made back then. Um, do you want to start with the, the no scholarships one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, when you're a <laughs> high school student, right. And everyone's like, Hey, you should get scholarships and stuff like that. I was looking at the, uh, I was the, the, the caveat is you're a high school student, you know, you don't know anything. And they were like, you need to write some papers to get this. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't even, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to spend that effort writing a paper to get money. And that, you know, and then when you get that giant bill at the end, you're like, huh, Maybe that three grand scholarship from that tiny little place that, you know, only three people are going to apply for might've been worthwhile in my time, but you don't know that. So I think, you know, generations going forward, you know, my, my kids are going to be like, Hey, listen, if you're going to go to school, it costs a lot of money. Like, first of all, is it worth it for you? Do you want to go to school? Can you do what you're doing without doing like having that huge debt? Mm -hmm. And the second case, like, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, because I feel like that would be an education in itself, right? If you could manage to get out of school without that being paid off yourself, man, you're so much farther ahead than your peers are going to be. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, and even thinking back to, to my senior year, I, I didn't know the, the true cost of, of money or the true value of money rather, or, or time, right. You just, yeah. you haven't been in any situation where you can really appreciate that if you've been in school the entire time. So, you know, signing, a you know, basically, a uh, into that debt that can get up to six figures. I, that's a pretty big risk and it's unforgivable debt, right? You can't, yeah. you can't escape it. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll touch on that later too, but that's the crazy part is there is no bankruptcy that gets you out of it. Yep. So it's just, it's kind of, kind of insane. If you think about it, like here, let's send these children off to four years of education. We don't trust them enough to consume alcohol, but here, go ahead and get yourself in a hundred K of debt. And let's see what happens. Yeah. Sign here. <laughs> right. It's just, it's insane when you look at it that way. Oh yeah. Okay. So for, for folks that are listening, I mean, and, and thinking about going to college, apply for every scholarship you can, because it's not only the dollars you get, but it's the interest that you save on the money that you don't have to spend. Yeah. So, um, what about other possibilities, other ways of, of achieving a similar degree? Would you have done anything different? Um, I personally wouldn't, uh, just based on kind of where my field was at that time. Um, so my background is computer science. And um, since since I graduated school, lots of ex- uh, external alternate methods of education have erupted. Like there's tons of coding academies. There's tons of other places that you can pick up the skills you need to get a really good job. Um, I do think there's extreme value in my four-year education. Um, but the question is, did it justify the price tag? Like, I'm not sure, you know, I do catch myself with like a bias when I'm, you know, I I take a look at a resume and I say, okay, you have a coding camp. Okay. That's great. And this person has a four year university. I still feel that difference. I'm like, okay, well, they probably have better fundamentals at the four year, but you know, you're in a coding camp and you've got three years of experience. You're not very much different, right? It's kind of like, it gives you a leg up, but at what cost, you know? Yeah. If you kind of want to jump to a little like uh, Tim Ferriss analogy there, it's like you could either spend the money on the education or you could spend the money on the experience and you'll probably get farther if you spent the money on the experience. Yeah. No, I, I love some Tim Ferriss. I was actually, <laughs> I was talking to someone who was looking at getting a Lean Six Sigma black belt uh, not too long ago. And, you know, he's looking at different options and some were like $300 and others were like five grand. Right. So the way I explained it was for the $400, you can update some words on your resume, but for the five grand, you can go into an interview and actually talk through the project that you're going to have to do. Right. And when you have the application and the experience, it's a lot more valuable. Right. Right. And then the the, the flip side there though, is maybe that $300 education would have got you that first job that would have got you all that experience. Yep. So that you could do the next job. You know, there's tons of different ways to do this. It's just kind of figuring out what you want to do and what your risk tolerance is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So for, for folks considering that, I mean, at least look at other options. Um, you know, there, there probably are reasons to, to go to a four-year university and spend the money to your point. Um, but today there are a lot of different certifications and internships um, and there's the option to go to like community college for a couple of years and then maybe finish up at a larger school. You still get that, that name on your diploma, um, and the recognition that goes with it. So a couple of different ways to slice the pie there. 
Absolutely. Yeah, because I've I've met developers that have gone through coding camps. And if I didn't know that, I would have thought, you know, they have they have their masters because they know so much. You know what I mean? Like yep. education right now is is going through a crazy change where you can go online and get it for cheap or free. So definitely look at all the alternatives before you sign here on that data line like we like we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what what about other lessons learned? I mean Anything else from that situation? Uh, know what you're getting into. I mean, I, I looked at the end, you know, a lot of people could have been looking throughout and been like, hey, you know, maybe I should pick up that side job. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should take a year off because, you know, I'm not really digging this and I don't want another 25K in debt. Like, mm-hmm. know, know what you're doing. Like, try to try to plan your future. Don't just kind of coast because everyone says this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And it, it's kind of hard to assume that you're going to be doing that role for the rest of your life. In some <laughs> cases, like you, you enjoy what you do, right? Yeah. I got lucky, but there's a lot of people that don't, you know, and sometimes that's how they justify, well, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in my future when they get into that role, you know, after three or four years, it's like, man, I want to do something else. Like, but, but I'm kind of stuck here because I need to yeah. pay back that money. Yeah. The, the other pieces, there's a lot of jobs. And and we've talked about this too, that where you can make 50K plus without a degree. I mean, I work in transportation and we have truck drivers that make six figures, right? And they, you know, they pay for the CDL or in some cases, the, the company that they work for will pay for them to get the CDL. So if money is your main driver, I would encourage folks to look at, at different options as well where they don't have to go so far into debt to, to make that money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to tie back kind of into the fire community here. Um, one of, one of the small heroes of that community is, uh, goes by the name of uh, Mr. Money Mustache. Um, and he has a couple different articles on his site talking about, you know, 50 jobs that you can make over 50 K with small education. And just looking at that list, you're like, huh, these are all viable possible options, you know, yeah. and you, and it's the big thing to think about is not also, you know, I don't have debt. It's you also have another four years on someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those people yeah. are at school for at least four years. You're talking about, you know, doctors, dentists, you know, you're six, seven years in school. So in that period of time, you could be making a solid income doing something else. And then, hey, in seven years, you decide you want to do something else. You want to go to school. Well, you have a huge leg up. Yep. So it's it's not just money. It's the opportunity cost of time. And that's, I feel like as I've matured, I start leaning more on that over, you know, money is time starts becoming super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, well, good stuff, you know, kind of a shocker. You, you, you look at the, <laughs> the sticker price, um, the, the second critical situation or, or decision is you discovered the YNAB course and signed up for it. Yeah. So, can you explain to, to folks who aren't familiar what YNAB is? Sure. So YNAB stands for you need a budget. It is a, I uh, kind of, if anyone's familiar with like the envelope method of, you know, this, this money goes in this envelope to pay for this, this money goes in this envelope pays for this. YNAB is kind of the digital version of that kind of on steroids where it kind of gives you ideas. It says, here's your budget. 
you're allocating this amount of money towards this bucket item because you've got a pending transaction that's coming. Like your mortgage is coming every month, you know, every single time, like this is how much money goes for that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of forces you to give every single dollar a job. So once your paycheck comes in, you give them all priorities. You say, this is what this is going to do. This dollar is going to do this. And then whatever's left after you pay your bills goes towards the other priorities. Mm-hmm. So it's, it works with my brain because I work a lot in priorities. So it's, what is what is next for this? Where does this dollar go? Should yeah. this go to Christmas or should this go to the car that's going to need, need to be replaced? Can I do both? What do I have to not do? You know what I mean? It's like, yep. <laughs> so taking that course kind of let me get kind of like a digital picture of where my money was going mm-hmm. and help me start putting it every extra dollar I had into paying off that debt. So it's it's kind of like organizing the chaos. Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of people, the paycheck comes in and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it went. You got to go look at your credit card receipts. Maybe if you even do that, yep. um, kind of encourages you to look at every single thing that has happened and find out where that those traces of money have gone and see, does that align with your priorities? You know? Yep. No, I, I agree. And, and you're the one who suggested YNAB to me. And, um, just to build on what you were saying, it, it started as a, a desktop app, right? Where you would buy yeah. it and it was kind of like a spreadsheet and it morphed into an app. And yeah. the latest version, you, you build your budget and you can share an account with a spouse or a roommate or whoever. Um, and and you, you put the money in the different buckets. And if you go to, you know, I don't know, you, you go to the store, you go to the grocery store, you can punch in, hey, I spent 80 bucks. And, you know, you can take all that 80 out of groceries or you can split it between grocery and medical or whatever it is. It's a really great tool. And uh, I I really have to give you credit, right? Because when when my wife Maggie was pregnant with with our daughter, YNAB gave me the confidence to know that I had enough cash set aside to pay our out-of-pocket max, you know, which I was expecting to pay with a delivery of a child. Um, as well as covering a few more additional months of expenses in case she had to take more time out of work. And I can't tell you how well I slept at night knowing that I had that cash set aside. So I, I couldn't recommend it enough. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, YNAB is, is very good for marriages. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the biggest things in, in our household is we each get the same amount of money for fun money. Um, and it's very, very important to me because like, as we dropped down to one income, I wanted to very, I wanted to make it very well known that we shared the same pot of money. It wasn't my money. It wasn't her money. Like we have money, like this is what we're doing. Um, but every month we each get the exact same amount of money that you're allowed to do whatever you want with. There's no judgment. I mean, there's, we poke fun at each other for all the stupid stuff we buy sometimes, but like, that's it. Right. So uh, that actually helped on our side because she you know, she felt very uh, concerned that she was going to cut into like our other priorities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, you know, like this, this is your money. Like if you really, really wanted to, you could apply it to some of our other higher level priorities, like our next down payment for the next house or something like that. I was like, but just to let you know, I'm not doing that. Like <laughs> you, sh- <laughs> you, you should, I want to buy silly gadgets and stuff. Like you should do what you want with this. So and now it's become lots of, you know, frivolous, uh, beautiful little Halloween costumes for our daughter and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think that's a good bridge into the, the third decision or, or step in that you got married and, and joined finances. Yeah, that was a huge one. So I was on my little journey. So I was I was staying at home, paying off all my debts, kind of priority, prioritizing all of that, saving up for a ring, saving up for a wedding, all that stuff at once. Um, so we eventually get married. And I remember kind of like two months after we got married, I was like, all right, I know you have debt. You know my debt. You know, we had all those good premarital conversations on, you know, how many kids do you want? What's your debt? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so we, I finally like pulled it up and I said, okay, you know, you're, you're in a bad spot too. <laughs> like, we gotta go. <laughs> you also have another hundred. She's like, really? I was like, yeah. Yeah. So we looked at that debt and we're like, all right, let's try to refinance this. Like my refinance went successfully. Um, Cause now the recession was mostly over, like we're a couple of years out. So we went to refinance hers and it came back as requiring a co-signer of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of explained to her like what that meant. Um, once again, you said earlier, right. You die. Like that's the only thing that gets you out of your student loans. If that, like yep. you can't go bankrupt. <laughs> like once you're in with student loans, you're in with student loans. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to sign your, I'm going to co-sign your student loans. And she looked at me and she's like, no, like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I remember us kind of sitting in that room thinking about that, being like, we just got married. Like, we told each other we're going to live together for the rest of our lives. And like, this decision is bigger, right? right. <laughs> you can undo a marriage. You can get a divorce. But like, co-signing with someone else's student loans, man, that is a commitment. That's serious. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember that. We just kind of sat in that room and I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. She's like okay, you know, like I'm in it, like we're, we're good, but that's yeah. huge. Yeah. True love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that was it. I always thought that was like a re reaffirmation of our vows right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. But I'll, but I'll segue for you. Kind of what happened there is, uh, is going is life planning. Like, what do we want to do? Like, why are we doing this? What are we paying off our, our loans and stuff like that? Yeah. You started thinking bigger picture at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. What's the point? If we're going right. to do this, you know, we should, there should be an outcome here. Well, in, in, you know, while we're discussing, uh, all this, I'm, I'm thinking through what actionable steps someone could take that's in a similar situation. And it sounds like step one is, is refi. Yeah. To Especially a kind of right now, right. We're in a really yeah. good spot to do that, but it also kind of gives you sort of a second chance. If, if it works out in your favor, I mean, even just, even if it was like maybe the way to just kind of make one, one payment instead of for us, it was like, you know, four or five different payments. You have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the rates were much lower after refinance and that kind of gave us more motivation to keep kicking, kicking our, like kicking that debt down the wall. It, it, it was really helpful for us. Yeah. Prog- progress comes a lot faster with that lower interest rate. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and when, when you're paying these things off, um, I think a lot of people read Dave Ramsey and he talks about the snowball method where yep. he, he recommends you pay the, the smallest amount. And then when that one's paid off, you just contribute to the next smallest amount and he calls it the debt snowball. Um, a lot of folks in the fire community say, Hey, tr- trust in the math, pay off the, the uh, biggest interest rate first. 
which, uh, which direction did you go? So I've, I'm glad you brought that up because we did both, right? <laughs> and this is kind of where I started realizing that money is more than just math. It's a lot of emotion, you know? Um, we would do, we would do, I started off, you know, as a nice engineering student of paying down the highest debt first. I was like, okay, this is mathematically sound. But those ones were the biggest, right? So I paid off one or two of those and I was like, you know what, this, this government loan, it's only got a couple grand on it. I can knock that out real quick. Yep. And then I would do that. And I was like, hey, that felt really good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I think by the end of it, we had, um, even if you look at kind of like my YNAB ledger, it's, uh-huh. it says like, this is what it used to be. Here's all the money from your snowball that you're also adding to it. Um, and that kind of kept me motivated month after month. Uh, we would come into our budget meeting and be like, this is where we're at. Like, look at this. We're actually making a dent in this. You know, when this mm-hmm. one pays off, that money is going to go into the next loan. And then and we only got a couple months here and there, you know, we can, we can do this. You know, it made it look obtainable, which is, which is what you needed if you're going to pay that much off. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it's situation dependent. You really got to know who you are and what's going to motivate you. Yeah. A lot of this was discovery, like a lot of, of doing all of this fire journey, all of this paying off debt was really figuring out what makes us tick, what makes us happy. You know, what is the value of money to us versus time? What do we want out of it? So yeah. I guess, I guess this debt might've been worth it for, for all of those <laughs> you know, life changing events that we went through. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. Okay. So you know, now, now you're at the point, you know, in your career where, where you're kicking it off and you start to dabble in retirement account buckets and you and I start trading some books. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you handed me a uh, second grader beats wall street. Yep. Alan Roth, I believe. Right. And then I think that kind of sparked me actually being like, huh, I can read some stuff here. Um, so I, I think I, I think I went to half price books found that section where that book would be in. And I just started looking at books, trying to find some interesting things. Um, and I think I came home with uh, Millionaire Next Door, which that kind of starts kicking you down the fire journey a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of the plot of that book is, you know, live below your means. I mean, <laughs> live below <laughs> your means. Don't look like a millionaire. You know, be a millionaire. Talks a lot about a lot of, you know, doctors and lawyers with high incomes might still be paycheck to paycheck. Like, you don't know, they might be driving, you know, a Porsche down the street, but Hey, if they get, if they have a bad couple of months, they're done. You know what I mean? Yep. So it was a lot of like, okay, well, I'm pretty happy with my lifestyle. Now, if we keep this going, we don't keep leveling up our house or keep leveling up our cars. Like we might be able to, you know, get to somewhere we actually like, you know, we might find happiness or whatever that pursuit is. Um, that was a big one for me. And that kind of kept kicking off all of these kind of like self-help slash fire books that all kind of all blend together eventually. Right. Right. Well, in, uh, I think it's the four hour work week to, to bring Tim Ferriss back into the, uh, discussion. He talks about how it, it really depends on, on where you live and to your point, what you spend your money on. Right. So if you make 200 K a year and you're blowing hundred K of it on, I don't know, uh, summer homes, really expensive cars that you don't need and, and the like, and then you got someone with making a hundred K or less, right. But they're better with their money. They're investing it. They're, they're saving it for a rainy day. Um, they're, they're going to be in better shape. Yeah. Right. So, and yeah. I think, I think we all grow up thinking that 
doctors are just these, these ultra filthy rich folks. Right. But in reality, they get out of school, you know, and they, they might have certain pressures because they are doctors to spend money on certain things. Right. And then to take it back to the, the fire community, go back to Mr. Money Mustache. He's all about, you know, he can live off 25 K a year. And if you go through his lifestyle, it's fantastic. You know, hanging yeah. out with his son, throwing pebbles in the, in the Creek, you know, riding their bike around town. Like that sounds pretty great to me. And when you do all the math, like if you pay off your mortgage and you're like done, you have enough money. Like, yeah, I can live off 25 K. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling Becky that I was like, Hey, by the way, our fire number is only $625,000. Cause that's 25 for 25 K for a year times 25. Right. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, all we need is 625 K and then we don't have to work ever again, you know? And as the years like that has changed, cause I'm like, all right, well kind of want a little bit nicer things, but Right. <laughs> I could do it. You know what I mean? Like if I could yeah. just save that much money up and after paying off 200 K in debt, like we did it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that three more times and <laughs> we don't have to work again. Like that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it kind of, kind of makes you think you're like, okay, well I do enjoy what I'm doing, but am I going to enjoy that in 15 years? I might want to go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think a lot of people in the fire community are good about bringing up situations that you may not have thought about. I I can't remember who it was, but I was listening to one of the shows and uh, uh, there was this lady and her, I think it was her mother or aunt or somebody got sick and she was actually in a financially stable situation. So she could actually leave and spend, you know, weeks there at a time or, you know, months or whatever it was. So it, it is very cool to see that type of flexibility provided, you know, when you set yourself up like that. Right. And just to kind of give more context too, is like, you don't just have to be like, when I hit that number, right. You Mm -hmm. start seeing the benefits of kind of establishing some sort of financially independent mentality as you go. Um, Like the first step, right. Even taking like the YNAB, the YNAB route is if you're not living paycheck to paycheck, right. So Mm -hmm. you have successfully have, 30 day extra worth of money, right? You can pay next month's mortgage. You can pay that. And then in YNAB, they have like a little ticker that goes up. This is like, here's your age of money. Like here's the oldest dollar when it kind of landed in your account. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see like how many months theoretically you have of runway, right? If you run your life like a business, you'd be like, okay, well, I got three months. I could lose my job and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like I could you get that number higher, be like, okay, bring in all my investment accounts, bring in my HSA. Like if I get hit by a car and need to go to the hospital, like, can I pay my deductible? And like, okay, great. I've hit some sort of medical fi, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've hit that little milestone of, Hey, I can now survive getting surgery mm-hmm. or like, Hey, if I lose my job immediately, how many months? Or in our case, it was, um, when we decided that we were going to have a family, we were like, it would be really nice if, if she could stay home, like I'll, I'll keep going to work. I like work. And one of us like has to do it completely. Yeah. So I like doing mine. Um, but what would it take for us, for you to be able to stay home mm-hmm. and like having all of these conversations, talking about where we are in five years, talking about how much, you know, what makes us happy? Like, can we lower our, our income and make it so that, we, our daughter, you know, gets to stay home with her mom all the time. And that was huge for us. Right. And in a world of 
we both have 200 K of debt and we're trying to hit our minimum payments. And, you know, I, I never left my first job because that was, that would have been crazy. You can't move when you need that paycheck. And I wouldn't have been able to find all these opportunities to do crazy stuff, have some fun in life and still be able to be like, yeah, let's keep going. Like we're, we're making progress. Yeah. It sounded like you guys really started with the end in mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, all the books that we kept reading, right? That's seven, <laughs> seven uh, habits of highly effective people. Yeah. Start with the end in mind. It's like we would go on our walks, right? And we'd be like, okay, where where are you in two years? Like, what are we doing? And we'd have those conversations, you know? And eventually they're like, I think we should have a kid. I was like, all right, well, I'm not ready. Nine months, nine months, uh, you know, let's, let's wait a little bit. You know, that, those sort of conversations. <laughs> but, but in terms of like the money ones, it was easier. It's like, what do you want to do? And for me, the big one that I I kind of came to my senses was like, I would like to be able to take off a Tuesday and go to the zoo. And I was like, oh, that's that's not that big of a deal. Like, you probably do that now. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, does (laughs) does that mean I don't need the the full fire like fire community? Am I am I getting there already? Right. You know what I mean? It's like taking those incremental steps of like, what do you actually want? And what would it take you to get there? Yeah. Well, and I, I think in a lot of this early reading, it introduced us to, to concepts that, that really helped us with the how, um, you know, and, and I think these apply to everybody. So, I mean, the, the first one's index fund investing and yep. for us, it was with Vanguard, right? Yeah. So for people who don't know what that is, instead of buying a share of Starbucks or Google or Amazon, you, you buy an index, right? So you buy a whole bunch of companies, which helps you diversify, right? So if one company goes under, you, your portfolio still survives and, and you get the, the average uh, of what those companies uh, return. So anything else to add for index fund investing? I would say your source for that is uh, Jim Collins' book, uh, Simple Path to Wealth. I mean, if you're going to read one book from all of these things, like eventually all the books start sounding the same. Like you go read a money book, you go read a, a personal help, self-help book. They all start saying the same things, but uh, simple path to wealth is very actionable. Pretty much says like, here's wh- why, here's what you do. And mm-hmm. here's why you do it. And like, yep. it works for me. You don't have to agree completely, but like, this is going to work if you can kind of stomach it. Yeah. So I, I mean, when I started doing that, uh, it kind of took a whole bunch of stress off me and I was like, Oh, I'll just stick to that. You know what I mean? Just kind of keep going. So, uh, very, thank you. Thank you, Jim Collins. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of outsource the decision-making to him. And yes, the, the other thing about index fund investing is, is how cheap it is. Right. So there's a thing called an expense ratio. And if you look at some of the 401k options at your job, you know, some of these expense ratios can be a full percentage point. So year after year, that company is taking a, a percentage of your portfolio. Um, with Vanguard, I, I mean, if you own the the total US stock market VTSAX to Jim Collins point, you're paying, I think it's 0.03% year in and year out. Yeah. And big action item there too, is whenever I would leave a job, um, I would always roll over my 401k into my rollover account at Vanguard just so I could drop all those crazy fees that I was paying at those, at those crazy startups and put them down to, you know, solid low index funds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny as, as we're talking through this, 
I remember you gave me this book um, years ago and I was on a train going to, to downtown Chicago. I can't remember why, but I was reading it. And when I got done with the book, I took my phone out and moved my funds that I had with Vanguard all to VTSAX. Yeah. Like it was an immediate action item because that book uh, hit me so hard. Yeah. And it's, it's something so simple and it just, though the rest of the book is explaining to you like why and like what to do when your emotions get in the way and all that sort of stuff. It's like, there's one immediate action item and then an entire book to help you feel better about it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, and then there was, there's one other point I wanted to hit with it and it's, he explains the buckets, right? So we'll get more into that here in the next section, but he does a great job of explaining, you know, pre-tax 401k versus uh, a Roth IRA versus a taxable account and how some of those things can impact you personally. Um, last actionable tip for that is your Roth IRA, right? Can be used as a um, emergency fund, right? Cause you pay taxes on the front end. And I think you're the one who actually gave me that strategy as well. Yeah, because the way I kind of started treating those buckets of money was how many different ways do I have emergency funds, right? Yep. If in a in a catastrophic event, where can I get money if I need it, right? So the big ones there are if you put money in the Roth, you can take out the money that you put in without any fees. So like uh, the money, the compounding money that it's making, you can't take that out. But if you if you put in that five grand you can take the five grand out, no penalties. So I always treat in my head as like, okay, well, if I was going to put five grand in a savings account for emergency fund, you know, I might as well put it in the Roth. Like I won't be able to get it as fast. So maybe mm-hmm. I have a smaller amount of money in my emergency fund to do that. But Hey, I, if I need money, I can get it from there. Um, and I think the next step on top of that one would be the HSA. Um, and that kind of probably is another tie into the fire community again. This is a uh, mad scientist, other another great name. Um, but he talks about how the HSA is such a powerful tool. Um, you want me to go into that? Yeah, that was the next part. Perfect segue. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so, so the HSA um, is a health savings account. Um, so what it is, is if you have a high deductible um, insurance, I'm oh, sorry, high deductible, yeah, insurance, uh, you're allowed to use an HSA. Uh, and what this means is that if you put money into it and a, and a hospital, be uh, anything comes up where you need medical uh, money, you can take that out for zero fees. Um, the cool part about it is that you can actually invest that money that are in HSAs. So, and, and then you can take the money out tax, uh, tax-free, tax penalty-free, I think it's like 55 or 65. So what that means is theoretically, if you got yourself in such a good financial position where you could pay any medical costs out of pocket, or, you know, hopefully nothing happens to you, so you don't need it, then that money could be sitting in low in uh, low cost index funds compounding over the years, so that when you get it out at 55 or 65, whatever it is, um, you also kind of had another version of a Roth where you pay the money up front and it kind of goes to the end. Yeah. I, yeah. That's one of my favorite strategies from the, the financial independence uh, community. Uh, so I'll, I'll link the mad scientist article yes. in the notes, but it, it, he calls it the ultimate retirement account. And uh, just, just to sum up 
what, what Jack was saying, uh, basically what, what happens is the money is pre-tax, right? So you don't pay taxes on the front end. So you're saving over 10% right there. And a lot of people take that money and spend it on their medical expenses. What the mad scientist says is you invest it because capital gains, right? So I buy a stock at hundred, sell it at 200. I make hundred dollars is taxable, right? Or dividends are taxable, but not the money that's within your HSA. And then on the back end, when you do sell those assets, right? And take that money out, it's also not taxed. So that's the triple tax advantage. And you don't, and you can reimburse yourself at any point um, today, unless the, the law changes, right? So if I want to reimburse myself for expenses that I, you know, incurred in 2020 and 2030, I can do that. So it becomes kind of another emergency fund. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I have uh, just a simple uh, a Google sheet that lists all like the medical expenses over the last couple of years, you know, dentist appointments, you know, checkups, stuff like that, where theoretically it's going to be a pain to get that, you know, $20, $40, but I could, you know what I mean? So it's like keep layering all these emergency funds on top of each other to the point where you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling pretty secure right now. Like I could sleep pretty well knowing that I've past me has really set up future me for success. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you would probably need to be in a position where, where you're not only consistently able to, to pay your bills, but you have enough money set aside to pay that deductible or out of pocket max if it did come up. Um, but yeah, great, great strategy. It's definitely something that I've been building over the last couple of years, you know, because of you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, while we're talking about the mad scientist, um, who, who's very well known, obviously in the, the fire community, one of the other articles that was impactful to me and really taught me a lot was the one about traditional IRAs versus Roth, right? And the same rule would apply for a regular 401k versus a Roth 401k. And do you want to take it away with kind of the, the lessons learned there? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I think this is how I accidentally stumbled upon the fire community is because uh, my accountant was like, hey, by the way, if you switch over from instead of putting in the Roth in a traditional, uh, because uh, uh, Becky's work doesn't provide a 401k, we can have that tax deduction. I said, oh, that that's great. Like, I think I want that. And I kind of looked into it and I was like, okay, well, this this is interesting. So the gist is a traditional is you pay taxes at the end. So if I put in five grand, you're going to get, uh, it's going to be like, you didn't make that five grand on your taxes. And then, but then when you take it out, the five grand plus all of the compounds that it's done over the years, you're going to get taxed on all of that. Right. So that's, and that also kind of the same idea as a traditional 401k, right? You're going to pay, you're not going to pay money taxes on the money now, but you'll pay on it and later and all the gains. Now the Roth, is kind of the opposite. You pay the money right away. You pay taxes on the money right away. So that five grand you're going to pay taxes on. And it goes in. And then when it comes out after having compounded over all those years, you're not going to pay taxes on the money that is compounded. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I want to say for the traditional IRA and the 401k, you don't pay on on the interest or on your your capital gains but they treat it as as income so you do pay taxes like that's how you get into your tax bracket 
Right. Yeah, you pay on coming out. So that, that extra money, you know, that has been compounded over the years. Once you take all those gains out at the end, mm-hmm. that's when you'll get taxed on it. Yep. And, uh, you know, they, they get into some pretty interesting stuff <laughs> yeah. on the Mad Scientist uh, articles. But, but basically, another takeaway is there are different strategies to, he recommends the traditional IRA versus the Roth. Because, you know, the, the money that would have been taxed is is collecting, you know, it's compounding and it's growing. Um, and there are different strategies to access that money um, without paying a, a whole lot of taxes on it on the back end. Yeah. So, and another kind of tie in back to emotion, right? We've had this conversation many times before is like, I know mathematically it might make more sense to put it in traditional, but we have decided that you know, having that extra bit of an emergency fund is worth it for us, you know, to beat off that mathematical to say, okay, maybe we'll just do Roth over traditional. So yeah. lots, lots of details here. And we're definitely like <laughs> not diving too deep in on this, but just kind of giving everyone kind of a, a brief synopsis of kind of the decisions that you can make. Yeah, there, there's just so much content to, to consume once you get into this stuff and, and so many different things to learn and so many opinions um, and yeah, we're, we're not even scratching the surface, no. here, but, um, great resources, uh, mad scientist. And, and let's just touch on a few of the other ones that were pretty impactful to us without diving too deep, but choose FI radio. So yeah, it's absolutely Brad they're, they're kind of a, yep. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, they're definitely, uh, they kind of done, did a great job of kind of covering all of the different aspects of FI, having everyone, all the people we've talked about have been on that show and lots of different kind of case studies on people that have gone through this movement. Yep. And they, they also offer um, free resources for folks that, you know, that, that aren't necessarily going to try to achieve financial independence, uh, but folks that just want to learn more about money, right. And how to handle their finances. And um, I do know one person that went through it and that, gave it great reviews. So it's another free resource if someone's interested. Um, you already mentioned Mr. Money Mustache, classic, lots of blogs. He started a YouTube channel now, um, but lots of good information there. Um, but let's talk about Paula Pant and the Afford Anything podcast. Yeah. So Paula Pant kind of is the nice tie between the fire movement and real estate. So um, she should be the first to tell you that she didn't do everything through real estate. She stuck a lot of to the index funds and everything like that. Um, but is a great kind of bridge between the two worlds. Yep. Yeah. I, I love listening to her podcast. Um, they, they have this, uh, set up for a lot of the episodes where they have callers that leave a message, ask pretty specific questions and it might not all impact me or be applicable to me but I, I find a lot of value in how she answers questions because it's, it's rarely, you know, with, with a straight answer, it's, Hey, well, you know, here are the facts and she, she's phenomenal at doing research. Um, and here's kind of the lens I would look through this or look at this through rather. Um, and I just find a lot of value, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a life lifetime. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, good stuff. Uh, lots of information about the fire movement. Um, but probably one of the most significant events is, is the next one here that we have listed December, 2018, something pretty awesome happened. You paid off all of your loans. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was huge. Um, 
I remember like kind of getting to that moment. Um, my goal, I remember like, I was just kind of glancing at this with you yesterday, like reading my notes of, of how I was really determined to get it done by the end of the year. And then I went back, you know, the next day and I was like, you know, mathematically it doesn't make much sense now because we're at the last bit of loans. We're at the nice government loans with the low interest rates. And I was like, you know, we should probably let this ride because it, inflation might beat it, you know? And I was that gut, that gut was like, no, man, you got to get rid of this. So I remember we borrowed from ourselves. So like I had money set aside for taxes next year and I, uh, to pay that. And I was like, you know what? I can get away with borrowing from myself just to get this knocked out for this whole year. And just so we never have to think about this ever again. I don't have to fill out the paperwork and taxes that says, here's how much money I paid in interest in, in student loans. I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And, uh, we, we came in, we clicked the trigger, um, got a nice little confetti thing from the student loan provider. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's, that's it. And the crazy part is now like, that was such a momentous event for us, but like, you know, two years later, it's hard to even remember, you know, we're like already flying way past that. It's just like a, a blip in the, in the past. So kind of, kind of insane. Yeah, I agree. And well, we were talking, um, last night and, and you made a great point. Um, you, you said, you know, we, we were living off of one person's entire salary and the other person's salary was going straight toward loans, right? Yeah. So when they're paid off, we know that we're good to go with with one income. And I thought that was such a cool way of looking at it. Yeah, and that goes back to kind of what do you want? You know, we had those conversations together. We had the like, hey, when we're ready to start a family, what do, what are you thinking? You no, know? mm-hmm. and and then we're like, okay, well, if, if you want to stay home, how do we make this work? right? Like we have all this loans, we have this. I was like, okay, well, based on the whole idea of living below your means, if we just pretend that you don't have a salary, that sets us up for the fact that in the future, you don't have to have one. Mm-hmm. And then we can just take all of that money, throw it all into loans, and then we'll just figure out how to live off one income, right? If you can figure that out, I mean, then we don't have to change anything later. Just We just kind of float on and everything kind of shifts into place. So it's, it's once again, like kind of the psychology of trying to figure out what can trick yourself to not give into lifestyle inflation. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's uh you know, simplicity plays in, into it too, right? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Uh, second to last one I have is optimi- optimization of fire lessons for happiness and individual needs. Yeah. So I think kind of the summary of everything we've talked about is there are the extreme ways to do everything, right? If you go deep into the the fire community, it's like you can do it in seven years if you save this much. You know, if if you want to just eat ramen, here's how fast you can do it. And it's just kind of pulling back the dials to be like, okay, well what what brings me joy? What doesn't, you know, is that big TV gonna bring me joy? No. Okay. Well, we don't need to get that then, but you know, does this little gadget bring me joy? Yeah. Okay. Well then is it worth it? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. So it's, it's a lot of kind of figuring out yourself and applying that towards your money. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was talking to my uncle not too long ago and, um, you know, I was telling him, you know, I, oh, you know, I was just asking for some advice and telling him about, you know, the, the, different systems I built as far as investing and what buckets I'm using. And we're looking at getting into real estate. 
And, uh, you know, I had done a lot of research and I'm, I'm using all the right terminology and he listens. And then at the end, he's like, all right, well, are you having fun? Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't at that time tell him like, absolutely. And it was just a great observation on his part. And, you know, I, d- I definitely thank him for calling me out. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, you know, maybe there's an optimal way to do things and people are very sure that in, in this community. Um, but you can be making significant progress and still spend money on the things that, that you really enjoy and that your, your family finds value in. Absolutely. And the fun part is like, if you're trying to hit that goal, you start realizing that you're ready, mostly there before you even hit it. Yep. Well, and then, you know, I think that leads us into our last point, you know, you kind of got things figured out and then you decided to complicate things by, you know, becoming a parent. (laughs) Always. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The biggest adventure so far. Um, And a lot of that was based on all those conversations we had setting ourselves up for this sort of path we wanted to take. It was always on the table. Um, And I think we set ourselves up to a point where it all made sense. You know, we looked at each other, we were emotionally ready (laughs) (laughs) as much as you can be. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so we did that. I remember, I remember reaching out to you being like, Hey Kyle, how much does it cost to have a baby? (laughs) 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 And just being like, all right, well, I'll go put that money in wine and let's, uh, let's see what happens. Right. Right. Well, and, and you guys made a, a different type of investment in Becky's career change prior to, to, you know, from a lifestyle design uh, standpoint to set yourself up. So do you want to talk through that piece? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we kind of figured out, you know, okay, you want to prioritize staying home with her, but you know, we know you have the personality type that wants to do a little bit more than that. So what, what brings you joy? What do you want to do? And we were actually in such a good financial position just based on decisions we had been making that we're like, you know what, you always were interested in, you know, yoga do you want to actually go do that? You know? And and she's like, yeah, you know what? I would. So we were able to kind of go through that. And now she's a certified yoga teacher. So wherever we go from here, she can pick up a couple shifts here and there around the, her schedule. You know, it'll be a nice sort of lifestyle sort of thing. Um, and because of where we're at, you don't have to think of it as like, Oh, I need to hit this many shifts for this many years because I have to make this money. It was more along the lines of like, I will enjoy this. I will enjoy the community that is created around it. You know, this, this will be a lot of fun and it will kind of bring me a part of myself that is worthwhile to me. So I think that's kind of like the ultimate tale of us is like trying to figure out where we want to go and how do we make it possible? Yeah, that's it's, I thought it was such an awesome move. You know, I obviously at the time I didn't know that you guys were considering starting a family. Um, But in hindsight, you know, it, because it, it did cost some money and, and a pretty significant amount of time for her to invest in, you know, not just going to the classes, but but practicing all the things she needed to practice to, to get certified. But now you're in a position where she can live anywhere. Her schedule is very flexible. It's not the typical 20 or, or 40 hour work week. Um, so I, I just thought that was such a fantastic move on, on your guys' part. Yeah. And it's, oh, thank you. <laughs> it, it takes a lot. It took a lot of planning. You know what I mean? It took a lot of like, where do we want to go? What do we want to do? How do we make it work? When is it going to happen? Lots of conversation, lots of walks, trying to figure out what's next. 
I think that's kind of what we'll always do that. I have no idea what's next, but we'll just kind of keep figuring <laughs> it out. Yeah. We'll keep relying on the, the same principles and strategies that, that got us here. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, we covered a absolute ton today. And I, <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there's going to be questions and, and folks can feel free to leave them in the comments section. Um, is there a best way to, to get a hold of you other than the comments section? If, if somebody has a question, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can send me an email straight. Uh, let's do GDL for Great Dad Life at jmmorrissey.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time and agreeing to come on and share your story and lessons learned. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Jack. Yep. Bye, Kyle.